Good morning, everyone. The scripture lesson this morning is taken from Hebrew 12, reading from 1 to, chapter 1 to 4. It is found on page 200. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run the, with perseverance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the pointer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such hostility against himself from sinners, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart. Fourth and last verse. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy words. Amen. Good morning. Thank you, Norma. As I was uh, looking at some of the notes I prepared this morning, one thought came to me, Alan is so ridiculous. That's the adjective that came to me. Because from the guitar, from singing, he moves so smoothly and seamless to animate it looks so easy. And for me, I said, So, in chapter, in the previous chapter, 11, the writer of Hebrews, as we heard last week, we were taken through a whole list of heroic people from the Old Testament. Remarkable men and women whose, whose stories stand out. And uh, they are there encouraging us and challenge us on a faith journey. While the writer every time says, by faith, by faith, by faith, such and such a person lived, he also added, what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephna, about David and Samuel and the prophets. This is a familiar text. And if it's, if it's not a familiar text, then we're in trouble because we're supposed to know this text. And uh, this text that we're going to look at, it speaks to the race we are supposed to all be part of. One of the things, as some of you may be aware, I teach French. I've taught French for a number of years, and one of the things I like getting into are words. So this morning, I, what I would like to do is to just take some time and go through some of the key words that are there. So we have the text in front of us, and they are in bold. So the first word we come across is the word, therefore. What does therefore mean? Therefore is a connector. It's a connecting word. It is an adverb. 
And what it's saying here, it means another word for therefore would be I think it's moving. So what it means, it means for that reason, because of the people who've run before us, before, because of the people who've been there before us, as a result, that's what the therefore is. Consequently, as a, as a consequence to what they've said before. So the first thing we notice is that we are not alone. We are part of a continuum. At times we may feel very lonely when we are dealing with our own issues. But here it says, therefore, we are not alone. We are part of a continuum. We are not alone in our journey. We are traveling alongside with others. We are traveling a road that others have traveled before us. And we're not only us here. It's a whole bunch of Christians all over the world for a long continuum of time. Since the beginning of time, we're also traveling with them. So we are part of a movement. Scripture tells us that we've arrived here by the grace of God. I think of my own life. I think of the people who've helped me travel my way that I, I was not alone. My parents were there, and when I became a teenager, I kind of walked my own way. There were friends along the way who came, along, who came around and tried to cheer me on. So these are, we are part of a movement. The second word, two words I would like to look at is the word let us. Now let us, from an, from an analytical perspective, it is an imperative. What does that mean, it's an imperative? It's, it stands for a command. It is a command. It is also an invitation, all at the same time. What is an imperative? If you think of your dog, and if you tell your dog, and your dog is moving around, and you say to your dog, sit, what do you expect? The expectation is that your dog, or if you're giving orders or commands to children, your expectation is that they need either to change their behavior, or to change their attitude, or to take some action. If, for instance, you're talking to your dog and you say to your dog, sit, and the dog keeps moving, probably you'll say, sit, because it is an order, it is an invitation. So here, when the writer of Hebrews says, let us, what it is called is, it's a call to act. It's a call to participate. It is a call to get up and move and do something. That's the second word. And the other words it talks about, a couple of words, it says, let's throw off. Let us throw off. And to throw off means to free oneself, to get rid of, 
to cast off in a very vigorous way. So here, when the writer of Hebrews is telling us, let us throw off, it's a call to action, it's a call to do something. And then it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. When I was thinking about these words, when it talks to us about throwing away or throw off everything that hinders, or throw off, in some version it says, let's throw off the weight. What is your weight? What is it that, what is it that you're carrying that is preventing you from moving forward? What is that weight? It says, let's throw off everything that is preventing us from running that race. The third point I would, uh, or another word I would like to dwell a little bit, it says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin. One of the privilege of coming here and to speak to you about a text is the opportunity over maybe two weeks or so to think about the text and to dwell on it. I was very surprised, and for me it came as a revelation. Here it says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin. I was very surprised that here it talks about the sin in singular. It doesn't talk about all the sins. Before it talks about everything that hinders, but just after, after that it talks about the sin. The sin that easily entangles. The sin that easily entangles. As I was reflecting on this, I asked myself the one question. John, what is the sin that easily entangles me in my run? You don't have to raise your hand. But is there this one sin in your life that trips you every single time? When you, if you were to compare yourself to other people, you can see things in them, and you know probably something that trips them all the time. And probably the word that comes to your mind is the word, this is ridiculous, because I don't have to deal with this. I don't know why this person does this all the time. What about us? Is there this one sin that easily entangles us in a run, in a walk? What is it for you?
You know it. I know mine. It easily entangles me. It prevents me from running. It tricks me every single time. And if this, if this is the case for you, and I know probably it is, then we need to every day work at it. We need to every day come, we need every day to come to Christ and say, Jesus, you know this is the sin that easily entangles me to run the race. I need you to take care of it. We need to work at it. We talk about the race. It is an action. We need to keep running. We talk about the race that is set before us. Again, just dwelling and playing with some of the words that are here. It doesn't talk about a race that is in front of us. It talks about the race, the race that is in front of us. And again, just a little bit of analysis. If you were to define what the is, it is a definite article as opposed to a race. When we talk about a race, it could be any race. But when we talk about the race, it is just one race. It is a specific race. All of us are running the same race at the same time. There are various references to the Bible, in the Bible, about that race. We have one here in 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. In Philippians, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It is unlike any other race we've run. In the Olympic Games, there's only one winner. In any race, there's only one winner. I was reading in terms of sports, what they say is that people remember only the one who comes first. The one who comes second or third, only that nobody cares. Dave is saying nobody cares. But in fact, the person who comes second remembers it. Maybe some of the friends remembers, remember it. The family remembers. But that's it. We only think of the, the one that comes to the top. We are involved in many races. You and I, there are many races we are involved. And all, our energy, all of our energy are in those races.
At work, we strive to be the best. Very often at work, if you're in a business, there's one stop at the very top. And everybody wants to get to that one spot. A while back, when uh, real estate was hot, everybody wanted that one house. There's only one spot. But this is not the race that we are in. Though we are racing, though we are running, we can all get to that place, the same place. I remember some uh, 30 years ago, I attended a conference uh, at the People's Church one evening. And Tony Campolo was there. I see Beth uh, smiling. Uh, and he is a funny guy. He was talking about how he used to work for a company. And uh, the top person, the CEO, would get an office. But only the CEO will get a key. And you know the key was to what? The key was to a private washroom. So once you get to the top of the company, you reach the top, you're given a key. And the key will allow you to use a personal washroom. You own that washroom. And Tony Campolo said, you know what I did? I stole the key. <laughs> we are running. We are all running. We are to keep running. I'm going to stop using this. All Christians are winners. We've heard earlier, it's not a sprint. It's a long run. It's a marathon. We are called to stay the course. We are called to remain faithful. Paul says that also later on. He says, in Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What race are you in? What pursuit are you in? Is it the race or is it a race? At times I would say we confuse the race. We start running our own race and then we ask God to come and join us in our race, whatever that race is. And we pray about that race. We make our race the race. The race. We confuse our want with God's desire for us. And very often we are focused on blessings. We know that God is a provider. He meets all our needs. 
But very often, as these needs are met, are met, we say we are blessed. I'm just trying to go back. Because there's a quote I would like to see. It's a quote by Dan Moller. Not sure if you're able to put it, but that's all right. One of the things that um, here, I, there's a favorite, uh, one of my um, favorite preachers, after Alan, of course. There's this quote he said, we are in a race. We got to get a million miles away from the gospel that just blesses us. The gospel is designed to be something that transforms me, and in the transformation is the blessing. Let me read this again. We are in a race. We got to, a million we got to get a million miles away from the gospel that just blesses me. It's designed to be something that transforms me, and in the transformation is the blessing. We are already blessed. We know Christ. We are called children of God. Christ is a brother. He's a savior. We call God a father. Just think about that for a moment. We call God a father. He said, you are my brothers. You are my sister. We are already blessed. No matter whether we get that thing that we've been praying for or not, we are already blessed. And just take, just go back. And he says, if we live our lives believing and praying that God is here to bless me, to protect me, to provide for me, to keep me and to help me make it, we are going to run into lots of trouble because then life and circumstances are going to decide who we are and and how we are doing. You're only going to be doing as good as it's going. Then we are going to be seeking God for all that stuff to change and all your focus is on you and how it's going. What basically he's saying, he's saying, if we just pray for blessings, if we just pray for uh, circumstances to change, if we gauge, if we view our lives as how we are doing, then the focus is not on God anymore. The focus in the, is on the stuff that we have and on the circumstances of life. So if something were to happen to us, a Christian life goes down. If it's great, then it goes up. So we are moving up and down, up and down, depending on the circumstances that we are living at the very moment. So he said a focus should be a little bit different should be a little bit different. And if you want a real test of this, think about 
your, the content of your prayers. What do we pray about? Does it look like a grocery list? Is it a list of wants and desires? I think very often we've, uh, we become complacent. And whatever I'm telling you this morning, I'm also doing this in my own life. I'm also analyzing this for me. We are content. We are happy with the status quo. Somewhere along the way, we've lost that first love. We've lost that passion. We are, very, we are only concerned with what's happening to us personally. Our job a house, a family. Last Sunday, I was speaking to a friend of mine in France around 7 o'clock in the morning. Now, 7 o'clock in the morning, you have to think of the time difference because that's six hours, so that would be 1 o'clock. Um, my friend and her husband, they lead a small church in the south of France, with approximately 20 people. Very small church, 20 people. And she always gives me a report back in terms of how was church. Her husband preaches at that church. In fact, they bought a little building. They used to have a house church before, and they bought a little building, and, uh, and they use it as a church. And she said to me, I was a little bit discouraged this morning. And I said, why? She said, you know, just prior to the service, someone was supposed to do something to participate in the service, and we received a text. And the person said, you know, I feel like sleeping in today. So have a good service, I won't be in. So that's a little bit, it's all about us. So we are not committed to each other anymore. We are running our own thing. We've been doing this Christian thing for a long time. Maybe some of you, we come to church. This is part of a routine. We come to church every Sunday, and we are happy. I'm not saying that we should not be here. We should be here. But I think it takes a lot more. We are in a race. And I wonder if people were to look at our lives, whether they are going to, to say, yes, John is running that Christian race. He, I can see he is in that race. When people look at your life, are you in that race? Do they see you as running that race? At times I wonder. I wonder about myself. Are people seeing me running the race? Or do they see me more like someone on a nice spring day in High Park checking out cherry blossoms. We're not jogging. 
We're not jogging at a leisurely pace. We are in a race. And the gospel message is radical. The word radical means at the very root. Radical has changed a little bit over time in terms of politics. One of the quotes from Luke, he says, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And this idea of being radical, there's always that focus on look ahead. Don't be distracted. Don't look behind. I'm sure you remember Lot's wife. How he turned into a pillar of salt in the Old Testament. The whole idea of the gospel is don't look behind. Don't look at the past. Focus in front of you. Don't be distracted on the side. Do not look sideways. Do not look to the left. Do not look to the right. Look ahead of you. Keep running. The next verse is again from Luke. Jesus said to them, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And there's more. Think about this one. Whoever loves mother, his father or mother, more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's something radical about this. One of and another quote I have is from David Platt. Radical obedience to Christ is not easy. It is not comfort. It is not health. It is not wealth. It is not prosperity in this world. Radical obedience to Christ risks losing all these things. But in the end, such risk finds its reward in Christ and is more than enough for us. And Alan has quoted Eric Bonhoeffer before. He talks about cheap grace. And there's a quote there, Dave. Cheap grace is that idea that grace did it all for me so that I do not need to change my lifestyle. The believer who accepts the idea of cheap grace thinks that he, she can continue to live the rest like the rest of the world instead of following Christ in a radical way. The Christian lost in cheap grace thinks he can simply enjoy the consolations of his grace. So there's the race that is set before us. We have to keep running. How do we run it? The writer of Hebrews says, we have to run with endurance. We have to run with endurance. We have to run with perseverance. It means we are going. Running with endurance means that we are going, you and I, at one point, we are going to be discouraged. We are going to be tired. 
we are going to want to quit. That the race, at one point or the other, it is going to be very painful. It's going to hurt. We are going to hit the proverbial wall as you're running. Some of you are runners or were runners before. But at times what happens, we hit that wall and we think we cannot move forward. In a faith journey, we will come to that point. And if you were to compare yourself to your friends, those who are not Christians, and you say to yourself, you know what? Their lives look so easy. It is going to get hard. It is going to get tough. We are going to be running out of breath. The idea of endurance is that it is the ability to sustain adversity. It is the ability to sustain a prolonged, stressful effort or activity. It is the ability and the strength to continue to keep running despite the fatigue, despite the stress. Other words for endurance is courage. And the word courage means heart. You need the heart. You need the grit. You need the patience. You need the perseverance to keep going. From the Bible perspective, endurance means getting through the trial without compromising or wavering. If you talk to someone who has continued with a strong faith in Christ, there's a one common theme. In all the most difficult times of life, they endured. And they did so by relying on God to be with them. In, Roman, in Romans, Paul says, Romans 5, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Paul also tells us in, in the book of James, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The call is, as we are running the race, the call is to manifest the presence of Jesus in the midst of whatever comes our way, whatever trial we are enduring. What does it mean to manifest? To manifest the presence is to make known the presence of Christ. So as we are running, as we are facing trials, whatever trials that may be, our goal is in that particular, particular trial to make sure that we make Jesus be known to others.
Let me ask you this question. Do you have dark moments? Do you, ha do you go through dark times? We are called to be the light. We are called the light of the world. If we are to be the light of the world, when is the time for us to be that light? Is it not in the middle of our darkness? Is it not in the midst of the dark moments of our lives when time seems so tough, when everything seems so blurry and cloudy? I am not sure what type of travel of trial you're facing. I am not sure on your faith journey what part of the travel of the journey? Is it dark? We cannot fall apart. We cannot fall into pieces. Because we have Jesus. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of the adversity, we still need to shine. We are called to rise up and shine. How do we keep running? We cannot run on our own strength. We are going to get tired. And in Hebrews, the writer tells us something. He said, you know what? If you want to keep running, there's only one way to do it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's the one who calls us into the race. And if we want to keep going, we need to keep our eyes not on the circumstances, not on the trials, not on the adversity, not on the pain, not on the troubles. We are not supposed to look on the right we're not supposed to look on the left. We're not supposed to look behind. Because the writer says, he is the author and finisher of a faith. He is the pioneer and the perfecter of a faith. He's a coach. But you know what? He's run that race before us. He is our example. He knows the course. He's running before us. And there's a group of people waiting for us. People who've gone before us. They are waiting for us at the finishing line. When is it time to run the race? Every day. In the gospel, we talk about the gospel being radical. In the gospel, it says, don't say I'm going to run it tomorrow because the gospel says one thing. When is the day? Today is the day. Redeem the time. Redeem the time because the days 
are evil. We cannot lose this race. We are children of God. Christ is our example. We cannot get discouraged. In closing, I would say, this is, remember I said earlier on, this is an imperative. When Paul says, when the writer, sorry, when the writer of Hebrews says to us, let us run the race, it is a call to get up. It is a call to participate. It is a call to stop what we are doing and take action and to move. We are not spectators. We are runners. The race is ongoing. Every day. We need to keep going. My prayer for you and for me is that as we look to Jesus, may Jesus give us the knowledge and wisdom to run the race according to a destiny. The cloud of witnesses are cheering us. They are cheering us not, to, not just to do what they did. Because the writer of Hebrews is telling us we need, we need to go further. We need to add to it. The Old Testament, they didn't have Jesus as an example. We do. Amen.